You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Well, we've talked about the Great Commission a few weeks ago, and in light of us sending out people to start a brand new church, uh, it is exciting time. We're going to be missing some of those people, but they are our partners in our family. They'll be worshiping in a different location. It's kind of like we're adding that third service back, but that will be up in Medina. In this great commission, as we've talked about, uh, what we did uh, last week that we'll do here for this week and next week is we split that word apart, and here's here's how we are looking at this word commission. It is a co-mission. This uh, commission that Christ gave us was to go out into all the world. But he didn't say, hey, here's the job. It's not a suggestion. Here's the command. You go out into all the world and you preach the gospel. And uh, he didn't say, good luck with that. And uh, I'll check with you back in about a million years or something. Or when you get to heaven, we'll kind of check on how you did. He didn't do it that way. He said, I will be with you to the very end of the age. And so it is a partnership. God is calling us together on a co-mission with him. So that's kind of how we want to look at this morning, co-mission together. God wants to take everything that you have been through so that he can use that to further his kingdom. Now, as we look at that, the Great Commission, uh, last week we looked at the parable of the sower. And in the parable of the sower, we talked about we have a tendency, especially when we think about the marching orders of the church, we have this tendency to say, God, what do you want to do through me? God, I want to make an impact. I want to make a difference. I want you to use me. And what we do is we jump right to the God, what do you want to do through me? And we forget about God, what do you want to do in me? Because sometimes if we don't make sure that God is working in us, what's going to happen is it short circuits the work that God really wants to do through us because there's something that's not right in our own lives. So it doesn't work very well. So it begins, as we talked about last week, with a planting and a cultivating, and uh, and that seed will grow. We talked about last week, in my garden, you do not have to plant weeds. I just want to be, if you weren't here last week, um, (laughs) I I just, I I confess that I, I don't think you can buy weeds. I think they just come up naturally, but just to check and make sure, I googled that on the internet and uh, weed seed. Well, it came up something and uh, that it probably shouldn't have came up. However, I, I do want to, ha- two things I want to tell you. Number one, I did that in pure innocence. I never even gave it a thought, you know, in that regard. I'm much more pure and naive than that. Uh, the second thing, though, is uh, I have not had any pop-ups or advertisements for buying weed seed or anything like that, so I'm really happy about that. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes there, there's a difference between being planted and being buried. And sometimes, sometimes we get frustrated because we've planted a seed and we think it's just been buried and we stand there and we stare and, and it just it doesn't come up. And, and sometimes I think we need to hear that, that, that some of you all have planted seeds in people's lives and it, it takes a while to germinate, but God has hardwired that into us. So one of the things we talked about that last week is um, whatever we passionately pursue is what we plant. Uh, uh, that's by default. So we come here and we plant some of God's word in our lives, uh, but then also by default, we then go out throughout the rest of the week and we plant some other seeds by things that we hear, by things we do, by things that we see or watch. 
and music we listen to, and uh, we plant weed seed, and then that begins to, to uh, choke out some of the harvest. Uh, we talked about the harvest being hardwired last week, uh, that if the soil is right, the condition of your heart is right, uh, th that that seed is going to grow and germinate. So last week we talked about, God, what do you want to do in me? This week I want to talk about what do you want to do through me? So that's the question we're going to look at this morning. God, what do you want to do through me? And uh, as we used an agricultural metaphor last week, let's use another agricultural metaphor this week. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Now in Matthew chapter 9, it is just before Matthew chapter 10. And in chapter 10, that's where Jesus sends out the 12 disciples uh, to go out and to witness two by two. And so it was also at this point that the disciples uh, have moved from being called disciples and being moved into being an apostle. So I want to look at those two words for just a second. Uh, the disciple means a student. Um, and apostle means one sent. So as we talk about this, the first one, disciple, a student, is a learner, a follower. Somebody's going to be learning. And that's the first part. God, what do you want to do in me? And then, then as God works in our lives, then the apostle is one that is sent. What it, God is working through you. So the first one is God working in you. The second one, God is working through you. So let's look at Matthew chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So it says pray. Pray that God is going to rise up and meet that need. Pray that he's going to recruit people like we have been doing to recruit people to go and step out in faith and start a new work. So everywhere you look, God is at work and he is, join, he is asking us to join him in a mission that is going to accomplish his purposes here on this earth. And so in this passage, I see some challenges that I want to lay out before you. Here's the first challenge. God, let me see the harvest field where I am because everywhere we are planted, there is a harvest field. And so God, help me to see that. It might, be, it might be my work. It might be my school. It might be my family. It might be my friends. But, but God, you put me in a field. Help me to see the field that you have put me in. And that field is ripe unto harvest. Um, and the challenging it, it part is to be a part of that. The Bible says that, that you ought to pray that that happens in your life. The Lord of the harvest would, would work through you to bring this harvest to other people, which in our case is Medina, and that we want to give our life to this work, to this harvest. And so if God is going to have a work through us, then we need to pray um, is that uh, maybe if we're really going to see this harvest, maybe we need to pray that we would then start seeing people like God sees people. Look back at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So here's the second challenge. God, let me see people the way that you see people. In fact, I would challenge you to start praying that prayer. It's just, it's really simple. But God, let me see people like you see people. Sometimes I don't think that we see people the way God sees people. Sometimes I think we see people and we get frustrated. We see people and we get annoyed with those people. Um, we, 
we see them as a hindrance to what we want to do. But Jesus never saw people that way. He felt in this passage, it says, uh, he had uh, great compassion on those people. Um, the word compassion, by the way, in the Greek, which is a very precise language, there's several words for compassion. This is the strongest word. It means coming up from within, out of the depths of, of, the, of your soul, that kind of compassion. Um, uh, maybe we could illustrate it. If you were downtown uh, downtown Cleveland and you looked over as you were making a turn and you saw a homeless man and you kind of felt sorry for him but as you turned that corner uh, you kind of already forgot about him that's not the word he uses he uses the word more like you would be a parent of your child that is in the hospital and your child is struggling get to get his or her next breath and the compassion that you would feel for your own child. And so th there's the difference there just a little bit. So pray that God, that we would see people how Jesus Christ saw people. I don't think we always do that. In fact, maybe sometimes seldom do we do that. Um, I, I think the disciples struggled with this. In fact, if you look through some of the accounts in the Bible, look what happens. Matthew chapter 14, there's this great crowd that's following Jesus. He's a very popular teacher. And uh, look what happens. They're, it's getting late. They're getting hungry. And they actually, they're getting hangry because they haven't been able to eat. Look at Matthew chapter 14. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's, always, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away. See, that's what the disciples wanted to do. Send them away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And that's, of course, leading to the five loaves and the two fish. In the very next chapter, Matthew chapter 15, this Canaanite woman comes and she's crying out to Jesus. Look at Matthew 15, 22. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. In other words, she just keeps crying. She keeps begging after you. It's, send her away. We don't need people like that. But that's not what happened, is it? In fact, Jesus, in that passage, at first doesn't say a word. And maybe it's because he wanted to teach the disciples something here at that point. But aren't we a lot like that sometimes, too? Um, Matthew chapter 19 then people brought little children to Jesus for them to place his hands on them to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, he went from there. So you see what the disciples are doing there? People are bringing children to Jesus. And said, man, Jesus didn't have time for those little kids. Send them away. I said, No. Jesus took time to be with the children and pray with them, and then he went about his business. And, and so the disciples didn't do a real good job sometimes that way, and we're his disciples. I think that's why it has to start with God, work in me so that I can see people like you see people. Because if I don't see people like you see people, then I'm probably not probably going to help. Um, and, but if I can see people through your eyes, then I'll see the harvest that is really ripe. Now, it's not easy to pray that. It's not easy to pray uh, that when you can't stand your coworkers, um, or you really don't care about your classmates, or you're annoyed by your neighbors, or your family. Have you ever, have you ever realized some people are just annoying? Have you ever noticed that? Um, you know what I mean? Uh, I saw this post the other day. I won't say who it was from because it could be true. Uh, a coworker 
uh, said to me, could you be any more annoying? So the next day I wore tap shoes to work. It's like, you know, some, some people are just that way. You know, God worked through me. But if you could just take away all those annoying people, those needy people, then God, I can do your work. That's, that's a difficult thing to do. Uh, I saw an article last week from Bob Russell that I highly respect. He's retired now, uh, does a lot of retreats for ministers now. He preached uh, a couple of years ago here in our congregation. Wrote a three-series uh, article. Uh, his third part is going to be tonight. Uh, he, he does a weekly blog. And uh, what he's talking about, listen to these statistics. 70% of preachers drop out of the ministry in the first 10 years. Of those that are left, 43% have seriously considered quitting. Because it's a whole lot more difficult than what you'd realize. And sometimes people see people as annoying, and they don't see people through the eyes of Jesus Christ, and, and they don't reach out. One preacher said, you know, I love being a pastor. It's just the people I can't stand. It's like, you, can't, you cannot be that way. You know, I learned very a long time ago, the only thing that will ever keep you in the ministry is two things. Number one, you love God. And number two, you love people. And you've got to have both if you're going to make it. Uh, he goes in that article last week. It was really interesting. And he was absolutely right and hit the nail right on the head. Uh, something's seriously wrong. Financial stress, time pressures, uh, a gnawing sense of failure, that attendance level's off and, and uh, offerings aren't good and you can't get enough people to volunteer. And he goes through all those things. It just so, uh, makes so much sense. Leadership dysfunction, uh, inexplicable loneliness constant criticism. It's no wonder so many people drop out. So if you're going to survive, it's going to be because you love God and you love people. Uh, let's look back at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. That leads to challenge number three. God, let me be concerned for people in their plight because a lot of people are struggling and we don't really even notice. That word plight um, it, it could be troubled, harassed, or, or even confusion. We live in a world that there is probably more information than there's ever been on the face of this earth. And yet there's so many questions. People are confused. And kind of what Jesus is saying here, in the midst of their confusion, you have the opportunity to speak truth into their life. You have the opportunity to speak life into them. That, that they're broken and they don't understand what to do. And, and you have the answer in Jesus Christ and you can share that. And so, um, you know, sometimes people put their best face forward on social media and everybody thinks their life is perfect when their life is far from perfect. And when you see people like Jesus really saw people and you see they're hurting and you see their needs and you see, then you want to do something about that. And so, uh, but, but so many people, people don't. Oh, we need to pray, God, help me to see people like you see people. Um, in the last several years, psychologists have been talking about this phenomenon called the bystander effect. It's, it's probably been there for a long, long time, but it's become increasingly more popular, probably due to the people that stop and take pictures and videos and post it online and so everybody sees, so it, it becomes much more obvious. But, but basically, it's when you see something that you should do something about, you just stand by and watch. And the phenomenon is that the more people that are around, the less likely you are to do anything about that. 
And they said there's probably lots of reasons. They don't, they're not evil or wicked people, but they think, well, maybe somebody else is more qualified than I am. I'm not really a medical person, or uh, maybe I'll hurt that person more than, than, um, than they already are, or what if I help them and I get sued and they die anyway? And so there's lots of questions like that. So this is taking place. It's called the bystander effect um, that we need. Um, that we don't see ourselves as first responders. We see ourselves as bystanders. Aren't you so glad 18 years ago we had a lot of first responders on 9-11 in New York City? But we have the tendency to just kind of stand around. And so they say, here's some reasons why people tend to stand around. Number one, somebody else will do something. Somebody else has got to be more qualified, more gifted, more able to do that. The harvest is plentiful, but look, man, there's lots of people out there. Somebody else can go to Medina. Somebody else can pray. Somebody else can send. Somebody else can give. There's somebody that's got more money than I have, and so they can do some of that. Somebody else. Somebody else volunteer. Somebody else preach. Somebody else go. Somebody else teach those little children. Somebody else reach the next generation. Somebody else write the next generation of music songs uh, for Christ. Um, somebody else is going to foster that child. Somebody else is going to visit the sick and the poor. You see what I'm saying? It's somebody else. The second reason they say bystander effect is rationalization. That there's really nothing I can do. Well, what can I do? Um, uh, uh, you know, I care. It's not like I don't care. I care. I'm just not qualified. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. I don't have enough resources. I don't have uh, the right connections. You know, that's one of the reasons for the church. Because we can help people get connected where there are people with needs whether it's Homeroom Hope or Compassion Month or, or, or whatever it is, we can help people take that next step to help them find the path that God has for them. Because we have a tendency to think, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, like there's nothing I can really do. I'm, I'm really pretty busy. So we rationalize. Here's the third reason that people just stand by. Just fear. Uh, afraid that, that maybe even we're not good enough to help. That somehow, especially in the gospel, somehow we have disqualified ourselves. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we're talking Matthew chapter 9 at the end of that. You know what happens at the first of Matthew chapter 9? The end of chapter 9, hey, I want to send you guys out. You know what happens at the first of chapter 9? Let's look back at Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. He, meaning Jesus, saw a, name, a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. He says, Matthew, you're a tax collector. You are on the lowest rung of being a sinner. But hey, you come with me. I got a mission to do, and I want you to be a part of that. You see what he's doing there? He's taking somebody that, that we would have maybe disqualified and cast out, and he says, hey, I want to work with you on that. You know, there's one very disturbing example of the bystander effect. It is the story of Kevin Carter. He was a photojournalist and he was in Africa. He was trying to take pictures that showed the condition of human suffering in the sub-Sahara Africa a number of years ago. And the picture was very, very disturbing. In fact, you probably recognize this picture. It shows a young uh, Sudanese girl. She's very weak. She's alone. And she's trying to crawl to an AIDS station for food. And a vulture waits nearby for her to die. The story is told that Carter waited there 20 minutes. He was waiting for the vulture to spread its wings. 
because he thought that would be a better picture. But the vulture never spread its wings, so he went ahead and took the picture anyway. It's reported that after he took that picture, he scared the vulture away, but then something else caught his attention, and he went off to take other pictures. Well, then the question, that, that picture got very famous, but then the question began to arise as millions of people saw that picture. What about the girl? What happened to the girl? He didn't know. And he tried to explain it this way. He said, you don't understand what it's like there. You're surrounded by that. You're surrounded by, it. it's everywhere. What am I supposed to do? He won a Pulitzer for that prize. And then he went home and took his own life. You know, I know we hear a story like that and we shake our heads in disgust. How could he? How could he not do something? And yet millions of people saw that picture. What'd they do? Right? You know, it's easy to look at other people and say, why don't you do something? Sometimes I think that maybe we're just waiting for God to send us a sign, that we see this sign and say, oh, okay, God, I know I'm supposed to do that. Uh, he says, open your eyes and look. There's a harvest out there. When God is saying, you, know, you don't need a sign, just pay attention to what is around you. We, uh, Christians, it, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. And if we're not following his command, then we need to seriously repent about that. Here's the fourth challenge. God, let me care for people. There's a few things that we can do. We can pray. We can raise up workers uh, like we have been doing for the last couple of years, especially in this last summer, raising up workers, people to send out to Medina to start a new work, but to see people the way they are. We can pray about those things. Number two, we can send. Uh, in Romans chapter 10, it says this, how then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? So sending is a part of going. And if people are lined up to go, then we ought to be lined up to send. Because it is a partnership that we're having with Medina, and not just with Medina, but with all of our missionaries all over the world. So we can pray, we can send, we can go. <clears throat> One pastor put it this way, a church shouldn't be known for its seating capacity, but for its sending and serving capacity. The gauge for our success is not how many people come, but how many people go. How many people live their life on mission for what God has called them to do? And I know some of us are wrestling with that question and probably have for a long time. God, what is your will for my life? God, what do you want me to do? And you know what God says? Here's my will for your life. You have been saved to serve. And so all of us should be serving. God's will for you is to be a part of his mission. It is not God's will that you just punch a time clock all the rest of your life and go home and watch TV until late in the evening. It is not God's will that your greatest passion is a hobby. It is not God's will that your greatest passion is money and that you will someday retire to be a millionaire. It is not God's will that your greatest highlight all week long is that package from Amazon that is on your front porch. 
Do you know that we spend three times more money on, on our pets than we do on winning somebody to Jesus Christ? God's calling you to give your life for him. So I guess the big question is that we're talking about this week is this prayer. God, what do you want to do through me? Let's pray. God Almighty, the, all we have to do is open our eyes and look. The fields are white unto harvest. God, we have been praying, many of us, for Medina for a long, long time. And we are on the verge of seeing, we pray for many, many souls to be one to Jesus Christ. Father, help us to gauge our life through what you're doing in us and what you're doing through us. Father, help us to know it's not a suggestion, but it's a command. Help us to know that your mission on this earth should be our first priority. God, help us. Help us today to see what is it that you want to do through us, through me. God, I pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts. That we would respond. It may be going to Medina, but it may not be. It may be staying here and serving because so many of our workers are headed to Medina. It may be serving up there or serving here. It might be going on a mission trip. It might be sending those people. It might be financially helping the Medina church. God, we don't know what it is, but, but you have something for every one of us to do. I pray that we take that serious. God, what do you want to do?